Hovering over the skies of a post-Christian society, we have spotted a man with a donut in one hand oh. and rosary beads in another. Child, I'm about to whoop Satan's behind. He is boldly proclaiming truth and reason like no rigid Catholic ever has before. The David L. Gray Show begins now. Welcome in to the David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. And we begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh my Jesus, forgive us of our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Dominic Guzman, pray for us. Venerable Father Augustus Tolson, pray for us. Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception, whose feast day it is today, pray for us. So what are we talking about today? No, well, like I said, today is the feast of the Immaculate Conception, which I hope is a holy day of obligation, if not in your diocese, at least in your heart, and that you've gotten to Mass or that you will do so so quick. Note about that, I will be making about the dogma, this dogma of the Catholic Church and how it is central, I believe, to the theology of the Catholic Mass. After that, I'll be speaking with John DeRosa, who was a contributor of a book that I'd like you to check out. It's called Wisdom and Wonder, How Peter Crave Shaped the Next Generation of Catholics, published by Ignatius Press. So, I will be having a long-range conversation with John about the living legacy of Dr. Crave and about the legacy of Catholic apologetics in general. I'm excited for you to hear that. This is a recorded show, so please don't call in, but make sure you download the Guadalupe Network app for your smartphone. Use it to listen to all of our programming all day long, starting in the morning with the Catholic Drive Time show by Joe McLean and Adrian Francesca and Rudy starting at 6 a.m. Central Time. Also, please like, subscribe to the Guadalupe Radio Network on all social media platforms like Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, where you can watch all the GRN content that we produce online, especially exclusively online, such as one of my favorite shows, Back to the Father, which airs at 2 p.m. on Fridays, making the thoughts of St. Thomas Aquinas relatable and fun. That show is hosted by Dave Palmer, um, who is the general manager of the Dallas-Fort Worth Gerent Station and features our own producer, Ms. Cecil Anderson. This is the David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. As always, I always tell you at the opening of every show, Jesus loves you. Jesus is there for you. And in those eight words, we can really succinctly explain the reason for the immaculate conception of the mother of God. Yet, it still remains the immaculate conception, one of the most difficult of all the uniquely Catholic beliefs to accept in all of our dogmatic teaching. Yet, it is one of the most important, I think, to know, even the Orthodox Christians still struggle with it. Protestants think it's heresy <laughs> that the mother of our Lord was kept free from the stain of original sin. But it is a belief that was long held for centuries within the heart of God's people, yet not dogmatically taught until 
um, Blessed Pope Pius IX in his eighteen fifty four encyclical, the Immaculate Conception, authored it, saying, "Therefore, far above all the angels and all the saints, so wondrously did God endow her with the abundance of all heavenly gifts, poured from the treasury of His divinity, that this mother, ever absolutely free of all stain of sin." all fair and perfect, would possess that fullness of holy innocence and sanctity, that which under God one cannot even imagine anything greater, and which, outside of God, no mind can succeed in fully comprehending. Blessed Pope Pius goes on in his encyclical to artfully and carefully demonstrate how this teaching is not the innovation of the Catholic Church, but rather has always been with us over the centuries, been defended, preserved, championed, and divinely confirmed. Yet, for some reason, it remains easier to believe that bread and wine could become a real person or that a man could rise from the dead after three days or that, uh, or that the man who, who rose is God or that the um, invocation of the three divine names along with the pouring of water could in that instant make us holy. Then it is to believe that the eternal father would, that his son be conceived in a womb of a woman who is so, so beautiful, so glorious, so sublime, full of holiness, full of grace, and so completely free from all taint of original sin. The crux of the theology of the Immaculate Conception, I believe, is par excellence revealed through the liturgy of the memorial sacrifice. Through the liturgy, we witness that the mission of Christ Jesus necessitated that he be born without, he be born naturally without the stain and blemish of sin so that he could be made victim for sin. That is, so that he could be made a sacrificial offering for our sins. As we sing in Agnes Day at the Holy Mass, Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And just as God required that the Passover sacrificial lamb born naturally be without stain and blemish, so too was Christ, Mary, the mother of God, was chosen by the eternal father to give birth to this lamb because it was the only sacrifice that he could accept to pay the price for our sins. There was nothing we could offer God to redeem us because everything we have belongs to him already. Rather, God had to give himself to heal those he loves. And through the sacraments of the Holy Eucharist, he continues to offer us his spotless lamb so that we might be made one with him. You alone and your mother are more beautiful than all the others. For there is no blemish in you nor any stains upon your mother who of my children can compare in beauty to these. One of my favorite songs uh, of all time is the Ave Maria. I mean, who doesn't love that, right? Even atheists swoon when it's sung well. Uh, 
And one of my favorite um, covers of that song was performed by my friend and recording artist from Malaysia, Francesca Peter. And I'd like you to hear it now. And right after this, the break. Welcome back again to the David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Got John DeRosa here. He's a high school math teacher who has a passion for studying philosophy and religion. He hosts a really great podcast, which I want you to check out. It's called Classical Theism. You can type that into anywhere on the, your, your YouTube, your Google, Classical Theism. Um, find him there. He interviews a lot of well-known people on a podcast, defenders of the Catholic faith. He actually lives out um, on the East Coast, New Jersey, with he and his wife, Christine. He graduated from the College of New Jersey. Welcome on to the David L. Gray Show, John. How you doing? I'm doing well, David. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. And I'm excited about um, the topic we have at hand. So there's this book that came out with Published by Nacious Press is called Wisdom and Wonder. And it's about Peter Kreef. And I thought it was really interesting, John. I'll, I'll, I'll preface 
our conversation like this. And I'll, I'll say it two ways. One is not true. I think one is more true. So every now and then, you know, people, they'll say, you know, Dave, you man, you had a really interesting life. You should write a, a um, autobiography, which I think is an insult to me because I think it says that I'm vain, I'm proud, because I think it takes a degree of vanity and pride just to write your own autobiography because, and I've tried, I have, um, I, I get about maybe two, three pages in and I get just tired of talking about myself, right? Um, and so I, I stop. But, and I always tell people, I really don't want to write one because I think if I really live an interesting life, I think maybe somebody one day will write one about me. But, so here's the thing that's not true about this book. So Peter Kreeft is still alive. Yeah, this book is not really a biography. It's more of a testimony about the impact he had on people's lives. So what this is, I think, is close to what happens after a funeral. <laughs> that after a funeral, people get together, they're eating food, maybe some probably usually bad food. And <laughs> they're talking about how did you how did you know him? You know, what impact did this person have on your life? But I think this is phenomenal is that Peter Kreeft is still alive. And here you guys are in this wonderful book, test, giving testimony about the impact that he's had on your life personally, as far as conversions, reversions. And I think this is a tremendous testimony about this man who has been around for quite a long time in our faith. But is, so is the title of Self Audacious, Wisdom and Wonder? Shaped Peter, is it Kreeft or Kreeft? Kreeft. Kreeft. Shaped the next generation of Catholics. Peter Kreeft shaped the next generation of Catholics. Is that audacious or is that? Or is that it's you, definitely you a bold subtitle, but I, I hope to give your listeners a sense today that he really is worthy of that subtitle. Okay, let's go. So let's go. <laughs> I'm kind of excited to talk about this book because, well, I'll, I'll say this, the title wisdom and wonder that you read, what people are exposed to Dr. Peter Crave in all different ways. And I'll tell a little bit about my story later on, but the people writing these essays are mostly of, you know, a younger generation, perhaps a millennial generation or a little bit older. And perhaps we grew up in the faith or in a different faith, but weren't super engaged with it, but at some time or another, we came across a book by Dr. Peter Kreeft. And I'll tell you what, David, it's actually not hard to come across a book by him because he's <laughs> written about 80 books 80 on books. all different topics. Wow. Some are, you know, deeper philosophical dives. Some are just, you know, Jesus shock trying to get to the core of the gospel. Others are um, commentaries on, you know, the books of Ecclesiastes and the Bible. So he's just written a profound amount, and he does it in a way that evokes wonder. And oh. I'm sure you know this, okay. that little kids, when they're when they're young, and I'll just give this as one example, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about all different parts of this, but they have a wonder about them. They always want to ask why. Okay. My godson, my nephew, he's about four years old, and he's starting to ask, like, well, why is this? And what is this? And he just has so much wonder about him. And then I think somewhere along the line, a lot of students, you know, maybe it's in public school, maybe it's in certain courses, they get that wonder beaten out of them a bit. And Dr. Peter Craved, what he always did is try to teach you to wonder about the great things of life. And so if you pick up any one of his books, he's going to teach you to do that. So that's kind of one of the main points that Brandon Vaught makes in his essay in this book. 
Brandon Bach, great friend of mine. He's actually the editor. So I want to give a lot of credit to him. He organized the project, got okay. a bunch of us together, and yeah. he's doing incredible work over at um, Word on Fire with Bishop Barron's Catholic Ministries. But he makes that point right off the bat. Philosophy begins in wonder. Dr. Peter Crafe wrote about everything, just like little kids wonder about everything. Hmm. Philosophy, theology, liturgy, you name it. He's written about it. So that's why I think he's a tremendously important figure and also his timing, which maybe I'll get into in a little bit. But yeah, I don't think many people can go through the Catholic world and never encounter a book by him just because he's written so much. Yeah. Yeah. He's, 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 he's quite the wise man. He's, um, he's been my Facebook friend for quite a long time. Of course, I, I just knew the name from, you know, Catholic answers, whatever. I don't think I, I've read essays by him, never picked up a book, but, um, he's a funny guy uh, <laughs> but he's so yeah wisdom and wonder and he has such a great insight and intake on on so many different subjects so he's probably brilliant and i read your essay um in the book it's one of the early ones i think it's maybe the first or the second i really am impressed about that because your first encounter with him was when you were still in high school college College. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up Catholic. I was a cradle Catholic and, you know, my parents brought me to church. My, my dad would pray for me and God was part of my life. And I would say even, you know, through my younger days, I had what I would definitely call religious experience, but I was never really exposed to the intellectual side of the faith. And it wasn't until I went off to college at public school at the College of New Jersey, when I started encountering all different kinds of people who believed all different kinds of things. And it was right around the time when the new atheism was super popular. So there were tons and tons of objections to belief in God and to the faith that I was hearing on my college campus. It was kind of crazy, David. Christopher Hitchens, who you've probably heard of, is like one of the most famous atheists from a decade or two ago. He actually came to my campus to do a debate against a Christian apologist. Meanwhile, I had never even heard of this sort of thing. So it was shocking to me that, you know, there were people out there cheering for the atheist side and that people had all these objections. I just grew up and I was like, oh, well, you know, why wouldn't you want to be religious? Why wouldn't you want to be Catholic? It was just kind of part and parcel with my being of what I was taught. Mm -hmm. But then I realized like, oh, wow, you know, these people have a lot of questions, a lot of objections. And I started to kind of wonder about things. And one day I was over my friend's house, Connor, who was part of the Catholic campus ministry where we used to go to mass. And he invited me back to his house, nice Irish kid. His parents made us dinner. And I just looked on the coffee table and I saw this book, a handbook of Catholic apologetics by Dr. Peter Crape. I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. What is this word apologetics? It right. was not in my vocabulary. It was nothing I had ever heard. At most, I probably could have surmised that it meant you were you know, apologizing for the faith in some fashion or other. It really just means you're defending or explaining the faith. And so I happened to pick up that book and I turned to this chapter on the resurrection and I read what I call the sentence that changed my life. So right. can I share that sentence with the listeners? Yeah, we're speaking of John DeRosa. He is a contributor of this wonderful book. I want you to go check out at Ignatius Press. I'm edited by Brandon Vaught. It's called Wisdom and Wonder. And John DeRosa, he is... Um, Wonderful, man. Got a great podcast, Classical Theism. And so, yeah, so this sentence that changed your life that you talk about in your essay, what was it? All right. Yeah, that's that's probably what people want to know. So it was on page 192. 
I still remember it. So I want to make sure I get it exactly right, though. So let me read the quote. It says, quote, we believe Christ's resurrection can be proved with at least as much certainty as any universally believed and well-documented well-documented event in ancient history, end quote. And at first when I read it, I honestly thought, David, that it was like a trick because no one had ever told me any sort of thing before that you could actually give reasons for why you believe what you believe. I just thought like, okay, you kind of are just born into a religion and you pray and you do what you try to be a, live a good life and and that's it. And you know, if people question it, well, well, you just got to believe. You got to yes. stick to that faith. When I think faith is to, is a good thing to have and we want to have that trust in God, but to 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 learn, just to hear the suggestion that there are scholars out there giving an argument for why Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that you don't just have to take it on faith. And I, at first I thought it was a trick, but then I flipped the page and I'm like, okay, he's laying out a bunch of possibilities. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Well, let's right. see. Maybe he didn't really die on the cross. Maybe there were hallucinations. Um, maybe there wasn't really an empty tomb. And he's going through all these different hypotheses. And Dr. Kraft and Father Ronald Ticelli, they argue that the best historical explanation is the Christian one. When you look at all the facts and data, it really rings true that Christ rose from the dead. And I just found that a tremendously plausible argument. I had never seen anything like it before. I was like, wow, what the heck else is in this book? I got to keep <laughs> reading it. So my friend Connor said, hey, we actually have a once a week group that we meet with, uh, Father Bill on campus, and they talk about apologetics. So I'm like, all right, I guess I got to okay. find out more of what's in here. So that was the sentence that sent me on a trajectory just to dive deeper into the faith. And I just found so many riches, so many wonders from Dr. Kraft and others, not just in apologetics, but he also has great works on philosophy and the spiritual life that are yeah. just super rewarding. So that was the sentence that changed my life. Yeah. And that is phenomenal. I mean, I remember when I, I first encountered it, I think of all the things that I've read of him and the essays I've read, that's the one I think also has made the most impact. I think when I do want to make the case for Christ that the proofs of the resurrection or the possible theories of the resurrection um, is the strongest argument, I think, that is out there. Because you have to, I think he said at one point in time, I think I read that you you have to do something with the resurrection. You have to do something with it. Right? It can't just sit there, right? And so what was it? Was it real or not real? And so, yeah, those, those, those five possible theories, I think at one point in time, I was working with um, the Islam claim that um, it wasn't really Jesus on the cross. It was some sort of cloaking device or something over, you know, the, is, so I think I added maybe a six one to that, you know, just to kind of fit it in there. But I mean, that's the basis. So there could be other things, but I think, um, Dr. Crape, he just laid out the case here, the case for Christ. I mean, so succinctly. But what are some other things that you think that are out there, these gems like this? Yeah. Possible theories that are out there that we don't know came from him or talk more about his impact. Sure. Apologetics so, in, um, yeah, he, he's known for a lot of things. Like I said, he wrote over 80 books. But let me <laughs> just point to one more with with Christ, with Jesus, our Lord and Savior, because not only does he argue and talk about his resurrection, but he also points to C.S. Lewis and amplifies C.S. Lewis's argument that Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or the Lord. And he argues pretty forcefully, to my mind, that 
the most plausible explanation is that he's the Lord and we should bow down and worship him. And a, a great person who brings out that in their essay is Father Blake Britton. So he's okay. another great young contributor to this book. He's actually written a, a new book recently on reclaiming Vatican II. And he, he does a lot of work with Brandon Vaught and he's a really sharp uh, young priest. And he talks about Dr. Peter Crave's book, Jesus Shock. And I, I think you'll like this, David, because he talks about, he poses it like this as a question Father Blake does and, and, and Dr. Crave does as well. Why is Jesus the most controversial religious figure that you know people are kind of embarrassed to mention sometimes in conversation? Hmm. Or, you know, some maybe they're not so embarrassed to talk about Buddha or Moses, but if you drop, if you name drop Jesus in a conversation, sometimes you know you're gonna get some awkward stares or some weird yeah. looks and things. And Dr. Crape asks, Well, why is that? Why is he? that type of religious figure, whereas, you know, these others you can kind of talk about, and it's not so much of a big of a deal. And Father Blake explains Dr. Peter Crave's answer. And you know what the answer is? It's that Jesus is not neutral. Jesus mm -hmm. is not just some guy that you could say, oh, you know, I think he was a pretty good moral teacher, but that's about it. No, he like combats any kind of relativism that you want to have. Like, okay, yeah, some people follow Jesus. Some people go over here. Some people do that. Now, Jesus, he doesn't really let you do that because he embodies, you know, for our faith, he embodies what it means to be the way, the truth, and the life. We could say the objective way, the truth, and the life. That's his claim. Mm -hmm. And he, yes, he does have incredible moral teachings, and he elevates the things from the Old Testament to even higher standards. But you and everybody, I think, senses this at some point in their life. If they look into it, you got to make a decision about him. Are you going to follow him? or not. He didn't leave the door open that you could just say, yeah, I think he was a pretty good teacher. I'm going to, you know, maybe agree with a couple things and disagree over there. That's not what he says. He claims to be the Lord of all creation. And he actually commands, you know, you to follow him and he wants to give you his grace and bring you to everlasting life. And you got to make a decision about him. And that's something that Dr. Peter Crave brings out in a number of his books and a number of his talks. I actually really recommend on his website, you could still okay. find the talk Lord, liar, lunatic, where he runs through all of those details. Yeah. And where can you find that website at? Where's a good place where people Petercraft.com actually is still up and running. Petercraft.com, just like his name is spelled. It's got a whole list of books, talks, and tons of content. And I'll tell you what, a lot of websites have updated nowadays, but that one has stayed pretty vintage. Uh, one of the authors in, in our volume actually talks about that and how it was like a really nice thing to, to look back. I think it was Dr. Matt Becklow in his essay. Um, and he says, wow, the website hasn't really changed much. You can still get all that Crave content there, petercrave.com. Nice. We're speaking with John DeRosa. Uh, he's a contributor of the title Wisdom and Wonder about Peter Crave, um, subtitled Shape the Next Generation of Catholics. What were some of his contributions to the Catholic um movement of apologetics that some people call the golden age. What was he doing during the 80s and 90s to help form and shape um, this generation of Catholics? Great question. I'll say the short answer, and then I'm going to go into a little bit of a history where I kind of get excited, but feel free to, to stop me if I talk. Too long. <laughs> okay. But the short answer is he was being a great professor, inspiring students, and writing lots of great books. But why is he so important? Weren't there a ton of other people that were doing that just like he was? Well, it turns out, David, the answer is actually no. 
So if you go back in time, Dr. <laughs> Peter Kraft was born in the 1930s. He converted to Catholicism around the late 1950s. Okay. And you probably know this as, as someone interested in uh, the liturgy and things, but what happened in 1962 to 1965, mm -hmm. shortly after Dr. Kraft's conversion, was the Second Vatican Council. And, you know, I think there's a lot of great good uh, in those documents of the Second Vatican Council. I affirm the true Council of Vatican II and all that those core documents taught. But, and many people have made this point, including Bishop Robert Barron, after the council, things got pretty weird in Catholicism. Yeah. There were a lot of people who went around trying to implement what they wanted the council to say or trying to bring about this quote-unquote spirit of Vatican II, like maybe the, the document says this, but what it was really going for is all these you know extra weird things that I want to do with the liturgy. And you hear terrible stories of clown masses and things of that sort. But another thing that was lost after the Second Vatican Council, and this is documented by Father Blake Britton in his book, Reclaiming Vatican II, is apologetics basically went away. For the 1970s and a good part of the 1980s, a lot of the seminaries decided, Thomas Aquinas, the Dominicans, this deep metaphysical stuff, we don't actually need to study that as much anymore. And now don't get me wrong, there were a lot of great things, and they were having this resource mob movement and going back to the patristics, and all of that was great. But as far as arguing for the faith, defending our positions and showing things from philosophy and from revealed truth, people weren't really doing that with an eye towards apologetics. So what I like to say is that Dr. Peter Kraft was still doing apologetics when not a lot of other people were. And now, was he, was, yeah. he, was back then, was he going back to, because I know Vatican II, or moving up to Vatican II, I mean, there's a, a movement to just reject scholasticism. Uh, right. So Kraft never that. did that. He okay. never rejected scholasticism, and that's why he's so great. And a lot of people did. They chucked out all those old books. So mm -hmm. there were still people studying St. Thomas Aquinas, but it was basically only some Dominicans, you know, in different mm -hmm. countries and so on. And the in most of your seminaries in the United States and a lot of other places, they weren't doing that anymore. But Kraft real he always saw faith and reason together. You're not just going to have, um, you know, faith on one hand and reason on the other, and they don't touch. He always yeah. saw philosophy as important. And so he kept, you know, teaching in his classes. He taught about Thomas Aquinas. He kept writing books. One of his great ones that um, Dr. Matthew, oh my gosh, blanking on his name for a second. One second. Let me just get it here from the title. He's been on my show as well. Oh man. Matt Nelson. That's it. Dr. Matt Nelson talks about his book, the fundamentals of the faith. And that's where he just goes into some arguments for the existence of God. Why consider Christianity and Jesus rather than Muhammad or Buddha or other religious figures. And Dr. Kraft was doing that all throughout the seventies, eighties and nineties. And like you said, that golden age did eventually come back and Carl Keating started Catholic answers, but it really wasn't until around the mid to late nineties when it started to take root prior to that time, there were not a lot of people who saw apologetics as important, but Dr. Peter Kraft always saw that defending the truth of the faith was important. But at the same time, he also wanted to lead people um, with their hearts as well. He always talks about the beauty of Catholicism, not just the truth of it. So I think he was doing something special. Yes, maybe there were a few other people, but his is a big name that comes to mind. 
And I see a transition in some of his titles. I mean, moving out of the 80s into the 90s, it looks like in the 80s, he's definitely talking big picture, Socrates, um, philosophies. He's talking Summa. Then moving towards that, what you described that that era of what we were, you know, what people call the golden age of apologetics. And I know we need a lot more work to define what that was. When was it? You know, we, we, you know, we're still doing work on that. We have to be probably a little further away from it to really talk about what that was. But in this, what we're talking about now, you know, I started in this period that you, you narrowed in on, I see a, a handbook of Christian apologetics mm. like that. Um, um, uh, how to speak to your children about the faith angels and demons what do we really know about them right so there's there's a lot of titles here during that age that's really that that bespeaks a kind of what we think about about that golden age like here's the question and i'm going to here's the answer and here's how to explain your faith or give a reason for your favor defend your faith in this way no absolutely and i'll say the the second um another lesson that brandon Vaught brings out in his chapter in this book wisdom and wonder i told you the first one at the beginning of the show it was that philosophy begins in wonder and dr crave talks us talks to us about how to wonder about life's biggest questions but two of the other lessons that brandon says we can learn from dr crave is that there are strong reasons to believe in god and that beauty is a signpost to faith, both of those things. And one of the things that Dr. Crafton and Father Ronald Ticelli are famous for in that book on a handbook of Catholic apologetics is that they have a whole chapter where they go through about 20 arguments for God's existence. It's the sort of thing that I was never exposed to. You can go through a dozen years of, of I'm sorry, dozen years of public school. And I know this because I teach in a public school. You're not going to be exposed <laughs> to arguments for God's existence. It just doesn't show up in any of the math or the science or the literature classes. Mm -hmm. And there's Crafe giving a bunch of his arguments and saying, and it's really part and parcel with the Catholic tradition. You know, Vatican I actually condemns the proposition that it's impossible to show that God exists by reason alone. So mm -hmm. the church has taught. No, it's actually a good thing to give reasons for God's existence. Now, people can do that to varying degrees. Not everybody has to, you know, wake up and start doing the hard philosophy to show that God exists every morning. You know, people throughout their life of faith will have different reasons that they find compelling. They're also going to build that relationship with God through prayer, and that's all wonderful. But what Dr. Kraft never lost from the Catholic tradition is that there are aspects of our reality about nature that point to God as our creator. And in that uh, list of 20 arguments, he talks about St. Thomas's Aquinas, his first way from uh, arguing from change, that because there are things changed, we can trace that back to an unchanging changer. He also mentions in that chapter, the Kalam cosmological argument, that because the evidence points to the idea that the universe began to exist, we can ask, why did it begin to exist? What's the cause of it beginning to exist? And this points us to a creator God. And then he also gives arguments from beauty. Like he just says, there's the music of Johann Sebastian Bach. Therefore, there is a God. And then about that argument, he says, you either kind of see this one or you don't. But some <laughs> people are moved by the beautiful music uh, that's been created, the beautiful literature. And yeah. that keys into the fact that there's something transcendent about our world. So that's one thing that Crave did during that golden age and in that in both of those handbooks. He's giving arguments for God's existence and saying that beauty is a signpost to faith. Yeah. Speaking of John DeRosa, he's a high school math teacher, but also he is a contributor to a wonderful book called Wisdom and Wonder. 
about Peter Crave. He um, subtitled Shape the Next Generation of Catholics, How Peter Crave Shaped the Next Generation of Catholics. You can find uh, this book at IgnatiusPress.com, or you just type in that title, Wisdom and Wonder, into your browser. And, you know, if you like buying your books at Amazon, is is there too. Read the reviews. Really, really great book. And John, you have actual, you have a podcast. I mentioned it earlier. What are you talking about on your, on your podcast, Classical Theism? Sure. And actually, can I just add one more point about the book and then we'll get to the podcast? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Cause well, actually this kind of ties into my podcast as well. Cause the Classical yeah. Theism podcast, we talk about philosophy, religion, and apologetics. And the ultimate goal is to give a case for the Catholic Christian worldview. And we kind of do it in what I call the three pillars. And I think there's a good reason to be a Catholic. If you have good reasons to think one, that God exists, two, that Jesus is our Lord and Messiah, and three, that he founded the Catholic Church. So if you have some good reasons to think those three things are true, mm-hmm. those are complementary articles in a unified vision of reality that we call Catholicism. Again, it's that God exists, that Jesus is our Lord and Messiah, and that he founded the Catholic Church. And I think all of those three articles are eminently defensible today. So what I do is I bring on philosophers, historians, apologists, evangelists, whoever I can get my hands on really to help us marshal that best case that we can for the Catholic worldview. And some episodes were taking deep dives into philosophy and technical aspects, but mm-hmm. other episodes um, were just talking about, you know, why is Jesus a compelling person or why follow Jesus as opposed to all these other religious figures? And it could be, mm-hmm. you know, a very understandable conversation. But one other point I wanted to make is Kraft is so great and he's an inspiration to me because he helped regular people study and read philosophy. He helped regular people do it. Because I think if, if some people listen to my show, if it's one of the more technical episodes with a philosopher on that they've never quite heard before, or if you pick up something by, let's say, Immanuel Kant and his critique of pure reason, and you open it up and you try to understand it, you're probably like, I don't even know what's going on here. Like yeah. there's these technical terminology and it can sound all confusing. Yeah. And what Dr. Peter Crave does in his books is he draws you in with simple language in simple terms and shows that really what philosophy is, that word, philosophy, it stands for the love of wisdom. And that's what we should all be after. And anybody can do it well if you have a good teacher. And I think he's an eminent teacher. So what I got pretty much the most out of, or one of the other things I got a ton out of reading him, is his dialogue books. Because I just mentioned a moment ago, Mm. if you try to go read Immanuel Kant or David Hume or something, you might find it tremendously difficult. But Dr. Peter Crave has these great books, Socrates meets Kant, Socrates meets Hume, Socrates meets this other person, and then he walks you through a dialogue where you get to learn the key thinker's ideas, and it's in a very clear manner that anyone can understand, and I've learned a ton of stuff from him. I think that's what great teachers do. Great Mm -hmm. teachers take technical and difficult-sounding material, and they bring it down and package it in a way anybody can understand. And so Dr. Peter Craved helped all regular people read philosophy. And if you're someone who's kind of intimidated by some of the uh, things that, you know, the Word on Fire Institute is doing, or some of the things on my podcast, if you find that like above your pay grade, so to speak, I would start with Craved because he will draw you in. But then when you're ready for the intermediate stuff, yeah, hop on over to the Classic Theism podcast. <laughs> and we're going to take a lot of deep dives into some topics. Awesome. So Dr. Peter Crave, well, where would you, where would you start to someone saying, well, man, he's written um, 
a lot of books, right? Um, where would you even start if they were just going to pick up one? What's your recommendation? You know, that's such a hard question. I would first ask the person questions about what they're most interested in and see mm-hmm. where they're coming from. And so I'll give you kind of a few. If, you know, apologetics is their thing and they want to see if the Catholic worldview is defensible at all and some of the reasons for it, I think that handbook of Catholic apologetics is still a great work that people can get a lot out of. But let's say they're not super into all that stuff yet. They just want to know, you know, why Christianity? Why Jesus? Why, you know, does this religion have any plausibility to it? Is there any legitimacy to what these people are still believing in an age of science and technology and phones? And do we really still need all this religious stuff? I would recommend the book Jesus Shock, Jesus Shock by Dr. Peter Crave. And that's where he's going to go into what makes Jesus so unique. And it's going to make some of the argument there. So that's a great book. Another thing, if people just want to know, um, so that's those are probably two, Apologetics, go to the handbook, or if you just want to know more about Jesus, Jesus Shock is great. But a lot of the authors, including Michael Gormley in this work, he's a Catholic evangelist. He's got a chapter in here, as well as Dr. Taylor Patrick O'Neill. He's a philosopher, and he's got a chapter in here. They both recommend his book on three philosophies of life, where Dr. Peter Kreeft, um talks about, you know, actually some different books of the Bible and how they give us philosophies of life. He talks about the book of Job. He talks about Ecclesiastes, where you can kind of read that. It kind of seems like a depressing book of the Old Testament. If you go to Ecclesiastes, who, which traditionally we say that uh, King Solomon was the author who had, you know, all these riches and wisdom and wives and all this stuff. And he's, and the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, all of this is just vanity upon vanity. What are we living for? What are we doing? We go to work, we come home, all is vanity. The sun rises, it sets, we have all these centers, all is vanity. And what Dr. Peter Crave does in Three Philosophies of Life, he reflects on that and he says, you know what, Ecclesiastes, that book is the question to which the rest of the Bible is Mm. the answer. Mm. If you just live on a day-to-day basis, a daily grind, and you look at all the things that are fleeting, it does seem all like vanity. But if you have your eyes on the transcendent, so that's what you get in Ecclesiastes. You get all the things that are fleeting, all the things that pass away. But in the rest of Scripture and in Jesus himself, we hear about what's eternal and what's transcendent and what what will never go away. And so uh, Michael Gormley and Taylor Patrick O'Neill highly recommend that book, Three Philosophies of Life, um, where Dr. Crave goes into more of those reflections. So I would recommend that, too. Yeah. And a book I'm definitely recommending is Wisdom and Wonder. How Peter Crave Shaped the Next Generation of Catholics is published by Ignatius Press, edited by Brandon Vaught, has looks to be 17 different testimonies about how Dr. Peter Crave um, influenced um, a generation of Catholics and how their work is impacting moving forward. And also has a section here called How to Read Peter Crave. So if you've, if you've never read a book, there's a section in here about how to read them. So Carl Keating or Peter Crave, who had the most impact, would you say? Oh, that is a tough question. I like it. I would say their impact was very different. Um Whew. As I look into the apologetics community, so for I mean, for me personally, I don't think I would have stumbled upon something like Catholic Answers or the Great. I mean, maybe eventually I would have found it, but for me personally, it was Kraft and and his books 
that got me into this stuff because I didn't even know it existed. I didn't know to go try to find Catholic radio or apologetics websites because I never even knew that there was this whole side of Catholicism mm. where people devoted their time and study to making arguments for the faith and getting into the intellectual depth of what was going on. So for me, Dr. Peter Crave, but I will say Carl Keating and his, his, his role cannot be underestimated either because he helped to usher in a, a tremendously popular radio show, Catholic Answers Live. He brought a ton of great people together to start answering Protestant objections because one of the things that happened in the wake of the Second Vatican Council, you know, the 70s and 80s, apologetics kind of going away, a lot of people were getting picked off, so to speak, by the evangelical community. And they were being kind of taken away from Catholicism because Catholics didn't know their faith super well. So they would ask them questions like, well, are you saved? Or <laughs> why do you worship statues? Or why are you doing all these works when you can just accept the free gift of Jesus Christ? And, you know, these things we've heard of many times, which nowadays we all have a lot of really great answers prepared for that. But back in the 70s and 80s, they didn't. So what Carl Keating did, I don't want to try to take away from that at all, because he put Catholic apologetics on the map and equipped people to deal with the fact that a lot of evangelicals were pulling Catholics out of the pews with arguments like that. So personally for me, it was Dr. Peter Kreeft. Um, as far as an objective answer to that, I don't know. I'd have to pull some people and think more about it, but both yeah. of them had a huge impact. Yeah. This is David L. Gray show, Voicing Truth and Reason on Guadalupe Radio Network. Speaking with a very wise man here, that's John DeRosa. You can find more about him at Classical Theism. That's a podcast you can find online. He is a contributor to the book Wisdom and Wonder, How Peter Crave Shaped the Next Generation of Catholics. And did, did Carl Keating and Peter Crave, did they ever have any intersections going on during these these periods? I'm sure they came across each other's work, but to be honest, I'm not an expert on the history of Catholic answers. I know the general time periods and I'm sure mm -hmm. they worked together, but I don't know if um, Kraft was a, ever like a regular on their show when they were starting out. He's definitely done radio programs with them. Yeah. And he's given a lot of talks that I'm sure they've yeah. worked together on things, but that's a good question. Yeah. I don't know if they directly were ever working together on, on Catholic answers live, but they were two, great people doing great things at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be definitely interesting conversation for future Catholic historians to talk about uh, those two great men and the impact they made in, in, in the time that they did it. Criticism is, I would just want to talk, as we as we round off the conversation, and we're talking about Dr. Peter Crave and his influence in apologetics, philosophy, and, and things like that, I kind of want to just talk about the legacy, because that's what this book is about, Wisdom and Wonder, his legacy. And um, I know apologetics wasn't his sole work. It wasn't, you know, he like you said, he talked about many things in many different places at many different times. But um, some of the things that were associated with are his arguments for how to defend the faith, how to explain the faith, how to give reason to defend your faith. And so we could lump this in, you know, in the apologetics um, question. And so one criticism that people may have, um, John, about, the legacy apologetics is uh, okay. Um, it had its golden age, but we look at the Catholic faith now, we see very low attendance at mass. Um, we see a, oftentimes in a lot of parishes, a hundred percent of the people who are there at mass go up to receive Holy communion. It doesn't, 
doesn't seem like a whole lot of discernment before we receive the sacrament. Um, we see, um, you know, numbers, if you believe polls, maybe one third of Catholics actually believe in Holy Eucharist, at least what the Catholic Church teaches that it is. And so from the perspective of some people who are looking at the Catholic faith through a particular lens, they're seeing a faith on life support. It needs to be recitated. The United States might be a mission territory. And so what impact do you think, um, is, is it a fair critique to say that the golden age failed us? No, it's a good question. And I want to respond in a few different ways because you're absolutely right that there definitely was a big problem with, uh, with a crisis of faith that is extended to today. And I want to honestly place a lot of that causes with a lot of the issues that happened in the seventies and eighties, when we did what Bishop Barron calls as quote unquote, dumbing down the faith and getting rid of a lot of the reasons and ideas behind it. And yes, it started to come back, but I want to say this, I don't think it's been properly appropriated or used by people or even accessed by most Catholics in this country. I think if you went up to the average Catholic and asked them, hey, what's apologetics? Why do you think God exists? What are some reasons? Why do you think Jesus rose from the dead? Can you give me an argument for that and different things like that? I don't really know if they're going to be showing a sense that they've listened to Catholic Answers Live or read Dr. Crave's books or things of that sort. So I don't know if it's been fully appropriated. But the other way I want to respond to this question is I don't think it's fair to put all the blame on apologetics, but I do think that people can make one of two mistakes. I think they can make the mistake of emphasizing apologetics too much, and I think they can make the mistake of emphasizing apologetics too little. And I think what Dr. Peter Kraft was trying to help us find is that right sweet spot where, yes, it's needed, but it's not the end-all be-all. Hmm. So you can emphasize apologetics too much if you get into a stupor of having to have a 100% certainty based on demonstrative arguments for every little thing about the faith or else you're going to chuck the whole thing out. That's not a healthy attitude for people to approach the intellectual um, pursuit of Catholicism with. Apologetics can give us reasonable and rational warrants for our belief in God and our trust of Christ and the Catholic Church, but we don't want to put too much emphasis on it to the neglect of the spiritual life and prayer and living that life of faith where you're really going to come to see that it's true for yourself. So there can be that overemphasis where people can work themselves into a stupor and then think it's no good because it doesn't do what they thought it was going to do like a magic bullet. But then the other mistake, and that's the mistake they made in the 70s and 80s, and just to say, well, hey, we I don't think we need this apologetics at all. I think we just need to pray well. I think we need to you know, go to church. We need to emphasize moral living and receiving the sacraments, which are all absolutely tremendously good things. However, what are you going to do with those 20, 30, 40 confirmation kids who are up there in eighth grade and they're supposed to receive the sacrament and they got all these questions that they're hearing from people on the internet? Did Adam and Eve really exist? How are we going to believe in you know Genesis when there's evolution? Uh, people are telling me that the church is against science. What are you going to say to those kids? Because what they said to those kids for a bunch of decades was, oh, don't worry about that. Just have faith. And look what that's got us. It's got a generation of people who are lukewarm about the faith, tons of people hemorrhaging and just 
leaving the faith. And so I definitely don't want to make that mistake of not having any apologetic resources to help our young people and those who have legitimate questions. So I think our goal is let's try not to emphasize it too much or too little, but let's try to find that sweet spot where apologetics can supplement our faith, but never forget that the source and summit of our faith is, is Jesus Christ, uh, especially in the Holy Eucharist in Catholicism. So that's another way I'd answer that question, but it's a good objection. Mm -hmm. Your your child is about to go off to college, a place where a lot of people do lose their faith. I think it's the highest percentage of, um, I was raised Catholic, right? That generation, <laughs> um, by the time they get to their sophomore year, they're going to lat mass a lot less. Junior year, maybe not at all. Um, by the time they graduate from college, um, they're just priesters, right? They're going to mass on Christmas and Easter, sometimes when they come home to see their parents. So your child's about to go away to college. Which which book of Peter Crave do you give them to help them um, stay Catholic? No, that's a good one. I mean, there's a few that I can recommend. Um, let me just pick a few. because I, I love how, by the way, in How to Read Peter Craft in the back of the book, it's got a whole bibliography that you can get to all of them. But if you got a kid going off to college, I, I don't think you, I think you want to give them the handbook of Catholic apologetics. So they have some of that reason behind them, but I would supplement it as well. And there's a, a great quote in here that I don't want to miss. So give me one second just to find it because it's from uh, Dr. Peeth has a great book of fatherly advice that he would give to his children before they go. So I want to get this one because that is um, another one that I think I would give to them because that will emphasize the other dimension of the faith that, yes, you have to pray. Yes, you have to keep going to Mass. Yes, there are good reasons to do these things. And I just want to just, dang, I can't find the name of it. But it's, um oh, here it is. Okay. It's called, it's a beautiful title. And it's just a bunch of letters. But it's called, Before I Go, Letters to Our Children About What Really Matters. And he just speaks in a very fatherly tone. And he's going to give you some timeless advice. So I would say those two books are great for a college student. The Handbook of Apologetics, so they got some good reasons when they're faced with those tough questions, but also that fatherly, timeless advice. It's Before I Go, Letters to Our Children About What Really Matters. You've been listening to the David L. Gray Show, Voicing Truth and Reason on Guadalupe Radio Network. We're speak we were speaking with Mr. John DeRosa, who is a high school math teacher, but wrote a very wonderful, passionate, and lovely um, testimony about Dr. Peter Crafe in this new book published by Ignatius Press. It's called Wisdom and Wonder, How Peter Crafe Shaped the Next Generation Catholics. You can find it anywhere online, but it's sold directly at IgnatiusPress.com. Check out John's podcast as well as Classical Theism. John, thanks for coming on to David O'Gray Show. David, thanks so much for having me today. It's been a blast. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be back same time next week, same place. And I look forward to conversing with you again. In between time, you can visit me online at davidlgray.info. But until then, and until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and is there for you. And live your life like salvation matters. And may the abundance of our Lord's blessings and graces and favors fall upon you and yours.